Hey, it's Rebecca. I know this is the point in the podcast where you typically hear some really smart quote from our guest. Well, not today. Part of my reason for creating No Limits is to demystify success for entrepreneurs, to get an honest, unfiltered look at what it actually takes to build a company and to figure out what works, what doesn't, and what founders wish they knew earlier. On this episode of No Limits, you're going to hear from two women building companies in two different industries who will share some insights on creating, building, and running a successful business. What's their secret sauce? And what advice do they have for all of you No Limits listeners who want to take a giant leap? I really admire both of these women. First up, Cisco board member and former Googler Amy Chang, the CEO and founder of a company. Amy Chang, welcome to No Limits. Thanks. So excited to be here. You're the founder and CEO of a company. Yes. Um, and we're trying something new here today. So you are a guinea pig, but I'm really excited about the conversation. Uh, born and raised in Austin, Texas. Yes, Texan at heart. You studied uh, electrical engineering at Stanford. You have a BS and an MS in electrical engineering. Um, early on in your career, you ran product for paid search and affiliates at eBay and worked as a consultant at McKinsey. That is true. So tell me about a company and give me the 30-second elevator pitch. I would love to. So think of it as your virtual chief of staff, right? And underlaying that virtual chief of staff is a giant data platform of 200 million people and 20 million companies you might want to know about. So you and I were meeting today. So last night, I got this entire bio on you. And so I basically knew everything I needed to know to come and sit Uh down with you today. Good stuff. (laughs) Lots of good stuff. Like, I did not know that at 15, you raised $750,000 for a children's nonprofit. Wow. It told you that? And, you know, involved Al Gore and Colin Powell. I mean, there were so many awesome things about you that I just found out last night because it was prepped for me intelligently and in an automated way. And um, I just it just shipped to me. I didn't have to lift a finger. But that way, when I come sit down with you, I know what I need to know so that we can start the conversation from not ground zero, but, you know, much further along. I How think. did you choose the name? Because we want to accompany you everywhere. So the little dog logo is all about your loyal kind of at your back. Your best friend. Companion. Yes. When you first came up with this, describe that moment. Okay. Have you ever had that moment when you so embarrass yourself that the blood, you can feel it rise from your neck all the way to your forehead? I don't know if you've ever done that. It happens a lot. Okay. So, (laughs) So that happened to me at Google. I was selling for the first time and I hadn't sold anything since I was nine and selling Girl Scout cookies. Right. So I walked into this room of you know, a bunch of of execs from Intel. And I had missed some huge breaking news that morning because I was trying to run a product still and trying to sell and working at Google. I just wasn't on top of my game enough. And I didn't feel like, yeah, I just wasn't prepared. Let's put it that way. And I so embarrassed myself. And this happened probably for the fifth or sixth time uh, in a two-month period. And I just felt like, oh, I need someone to have my back. I need something or someone to be watching out for me so that based on my calendar, based on who I'm interacting with, I'm just, I'm prepped and I'm ready, right? And that's, it was just born of desperate need. What was your role at Google at the time? So I was running Google Analytics and the whole ads measurement kind of space at at Google. How long was it between then that you actually left your job at Google? It was another two years. Two years. Yep, two years. So what happened in that time? Was it about courage? What did you have in place when you quit? So, you know, Google is a fantastic place to work. And it's hard to leave. It's really, really hard to leave. Well, probably financially, it's hard to leave. Yep. It's a brand with huge amounts of cachet. Yeah. And, you know, being from 
Texas, where, you know, you have Chinese immigrant parents with, you know, security as a very strong value. Were your security. parents against you leaving? Oh, they were so worried. They were like, you're, you're going to do what? You're going to leave what? And my parents are so lovely. But, you know, it was Google. And, you know, my mother actually said, you know, some people would give their right arm for this job. What do you mean you're going to leave? Are you crazy? And she... Uh, after, you know, all of it un- unraveled and unfolded, she is so happy now because I'm so happy. It has, you know, I have never been happier in my professional career. And it's yielded things. Because of our product, I'm on the Cisco board, right? Jim Citrin, who was the recruiter for the Cisco board, actually was using, is an avid user of our stuff. And so it just happened that he sat down with Chuck Robbins, who's the CEO, and was showing it off. And Chuck asked, oh, well, who makes this? And that's it's yielded so much serendipity. And I have to say that unless you take that leap sometimes, you're not going to open yourself up to that type of serendipity. And I have found that to be true over and over again. So yeah. three and a half years ago, you leave Google. Yes. Officially. Yes. You start a company. Yes. What do you wish you knew then, now? I wish I had not been so afraid to go. And I wish I had not let it keep me up so many nights and just made the decision faster and just started on the journey because I self-tortured for weeks before I decided to go. And it, when you know, like if it is the first thing when your eyes pop open in the morning, you think about, and before you go to bed at night, right before that moment you fall asleep, you find yourself still thinking about something, you know it's time. Your, you know, your gut already knows. You just haven't convinced your head yet. And I find now that the time I will let myself feel that is shorter. It's shorter and shorter and shorter the older I get and the more experience I have because it's a waste of time. I already know what I have to do. Just just go do it instead of torturing myself. Now this is your baby. Yes. And when there's a fire... It's my fire. It's your fire. So how do you handle that? <laughs> Knowing when to trust my team and when to let go is one of the biggest struggles and challenges. Management. I Yeah. And, you know, it's not even so much management as leadership, right? Mm. Because if you're hiring these fantastic people mm-hmm. and you trust them and you've seen them in action, then you really, you've got to figure out when to step back and let them take the reins and shine. And that's one of those things, especially as a founder, because it is your baby. It's almost like a, a second child for me, right? And letting somebody else have a part of the baby to run with is is hard, but you've got to do it. You're also a mom. I am. Uh, and because we don't interview men here on No Limits, uh, if I did interview men and they were founders and they were having kids, I'd be asking them, how do you balance the whole thing? But for you, because you have a child and that's one of your babies and then you have a company and that's your other baby, how do you balance the two? So I think, you know, I've shifted my mindset from balance to just figuring out on any given week, where does the focus need to be and what do the different constituents need? What does the team need? What do the customers need? And most importantly, what does my son need? Um, He's nine and he's fantastic and we're very, very close, but he knows he's a priority. So I, I, for example, was at a conference in London and had a chance to stay an extra night and meet someone I have always wanted to meet, but I hadn't seen him for a week. And you know, it was going to be the only time we had together that week because it was a Sunday and it was all free. So I came home early. And he knows his dad actually told him, oh, your mom's coming home early because she wants to see you because you're so important. I think your spouse being completely supportive in that way is so key. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that's a 
big part of the balance, but he knows he's a priority. You strike me as a very deliberate, organized person. So I would imagine that when you left Google, you had like almost a game plan of how you would spend every hour or minute of your day. Is that true? (laughs) (laughs) I literally just guessed. So for people out there and, you know, starting a company, a lot of it does come down to early on being execution, execution. Exactly. It's just an idea before you execute on it. So what's your advice to other founders out there or people who are thinking about making that leap? Okay, this one I have learned through a hard found experience. Put one foot in front of the other every day. And, you know, I have a tendency, I don't know how you are, but I have a tendency to overthink things, Mm, right? And to second guess myself when I've, and I'm in my head. Mm -hmm. So at this point, instead of second guessing, you take the information you have. You're never going to have full information. It's always going to be somewhat ambiguous. And the market is always moving so fast that you cannot predict what's going to happen. And so you decide, but you take an approach of course correction, fast course correction and fast failure, right? Mm -hmm. So putting it out there and just seeing, okay, what happens? What's the response to this? And then course correcting, course correcting. And I feel like the faster you can zig and you can zag to the right answer, that's really all you can ask for. And going with your gut, I so I turned 40 in January, but it, it, it was self-reflective, right? Yeah. And I just, I figured out, I went back and kind of empirically looked at all the decisions I'd made based on a gut basis. And some were right and some were wrong, but more often than not, they were right. And then just course correcting was the best course of action. So I I have just decided I'm going to try to second guess less and just course correct as fast as I can. I would imagine that when you're founding a company, you have all these outside voices saying, oh, think about going in this direction or build this component of your product out. Yeah. And it's really hard to stay focused on the original vision, especially in that world where you're saying you're course correcting, you're hearing what's happening in the marketplace. It is really hard. Um, and actually, I would say this is a super practical life tip for, for any people who are Myers-Briggs type J, yes. like judging instead of perceiving. Meditation has been phenomenal. And I know that sounds like, mm. oh, airy fairy meditation. Well, Dan Harris, literally one <laughs> studio over, is doing his meditation 10% happier podcast. So we'll just send you over there next. <laughs> but I've been meditating for six years now. And my team and my husband can tell on the mornings when I've just had a super early morning meeting and I haven't had time. The, the focus is different, right? Mm. And the feeling of urgency and impatience is more at the forefront when I haven't had that time to just sit down and think about what is today going to be about? Mm -hmm. What am I grateful for Mm -hmm. this morning? And what do I need to do for my team? Taking a step back. Yes. I think that's a really good point because in the world, when you, when it's on your shoulders, you and your team, and it's startup mode, it's all about execution. If you're not executing, it's not happening. Oh, yeah. But if you're not taking a step back, the vision and all that thinking part that you can be in a big company and someone else can i mean look ideally you're doing the thinking and the executing in the big company but it matters more it matters so much more you can take everybody in the wrong direction if you haven't pulled up and seen the forest for the trees i could not agree more and you know actually i think taking godfrey sullivan was is a, a mentor he's the chairman of splunk um and i've been on his board for a little bit but he's been a phenomenal mentor and you know, he always was a big proponent of once a quarter or once a month, whatever frequency you need, 
take a half day, step back from the business, think about where you're going, where you want it to go, what market forces are coming in. But you need that quiet half day or day when you really step back and you give yourself time to think instead of to do. And then, you know, all out execution after that. Number one lesson uh, or piece of wisdom you would recommend to anybody who is thinking of making that leap, starting a company? So, you know, I, I actually think one of the, the toughest things that you struggle with is you're a small team and you've handpicked every single person on this team. There are people you want to work with and that you're going to get attached to and you're going to care about. And there are people who you want to grow in their careers and develop. And then, you know, all of a sudden, sometimes there are other opportunities that come up for people and they have to go do them or you have to let go of some people. And learning that balance between getting attached and really caring for someone and developing them, but not letting it crush you has been something where I think every CEO and founder probably struggles with that. And I would say this, again, just be gentler on yourself, judge yourself less and let go of the guilt. Finally, my favorite question, worst advice. I was choosing between Google and Yahoo back in 2005. And you could imagine those trajectories would have been quite wow. different. But you wouldn't have known back then. You would not. Well, they were neck and neck mm-hmm. still back then. It was I, it's not It's funny because I actually interviewed for Google, almost went to Google, and I had one of my interview questions, and this is 2005, was what's the difference between Google and Yahoo? Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. Well, we didn't know it was going to be such a vast difference back then. And I had a really well-meaning friend who, you know, said to me, well, I think you should use Yahoo because there's there's too many smart people at Google. And aren't you afraid of failing out? And, you know, with that density of smart people, it's it's going to be really hard to distinguish yourself at all. And it's going to limit your career growth. And you're just going to kind of be stuck there. And I... uh I know they were well-meaning, and they really did mean to help. And I went and sat on both campuses by myself for two hours. Because you can't go in, but you could sit on the outside, and you could watch people's faces when they come in and go out, and you could look at how they interact with each other. And Google just felt right. It was a gut call, and it felt right to me. Um, And I got to say, the thing that I learned was, if you go to a place where it challenges you to your utmost level, to where you're in the red or the yellow almost all the time, you will learn far more, far faster. And if you are with people who you feel like are smarter than you every day, my God, what you can learn from them, right? And every person almost will have something to teach you. So that was very well-meaning, but uh probably some of the worst advice I've ever received. And a lot of the bad advice is well-intentioned. It is. It is. Tell us where people can find a company. www.accompany.com. It's A-C-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y, just like the English word to accompany you somewhere. Sign up, please. We'd love to have you. I'm using it. It's been very useful. Amy Chang, great to meet you. It's called a company. Go out and get it. Thank you. Now here's my conversation with Billy Whitehouse. CEO and founder of Wearable X. Welcome to No Limits. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. You went to school for both fashion and art. You've been called the Elon Musk of the fashion world. In a nutshell, in that 30-second pitch, which I know you've now probably delivered more times than you ever wanted to, (laughs) what is Wearable X and how did you come up with it? So Wearable X design and build 
electronics inside clothing. And specifically, we work on the hardware, the software, and the apparel. And it's across all three of those major categories that are affecting our lives. So we built a company around designing for technology that impacts yourself and how you feel about yourself, impacts how you feel about your loved ones, and impacts how you connect to those really important moments in time. And you have this pair of yoga pants here with with us. Um, Obviously, this is a podcast. So talk about what they are and how they're different from any other pair of yoga pants. Precisely. Okay, so the yoga pants are called Nadi X. Um, Nadi actually means flow in Sanskrit. And this is about guiding your flow. Uh, So we use electronics through the hips, the knees and the ankles. And we use vibration techniques so that you feel the sequence of where you should be focusing your attention live on your body in real time. Uh, The pants are powered by an artificial intelligence, so they know what pose you're in in real time, and then they give you the sensations of where you should draw your attention, whether it's grounding down in the ankle or lifting up through the knee or rotating through the hips. So if I'm doing it wrong... Does it buzz me? Is it like a Pavlovian dog type situation? (laughs) Not exactly. Imagine the adjustments you get from your yoga instructor. These are a pair of pants with a yoga instructor inside them. (laughs) (laughs) So it's more of a a delightful, what I like to compare to as song. It's a sequence of vibrations that's a little bit more like gugum, gugum, or brrrr. Can you hear it? It's so subtle you can't hear it. Okay, Unless so you the put rest a of the people in your yoga pan, uh, in your yoga <laughs> class are not going to be listening along to Precise. the soundtrack of your pants. Um, so, okay, you came up with this idea when we started working on this two years ago. And how? What was the first thing you did to get it off the ground? So I actually, I prototyped all of our original products here in New York. I went to the garment district. I found an amazing factory and I said, I want a yoga pant that has pockets in all of these areas. Um, because honestly, we hadn't figured out the integration techniques yet. So we built these pants and I literally shoved electronics in the areas that I just thought would be appropriate. And then I tried it on thousands of yogis and um, just said, what does this feel like? Is this too bulky? How do I make it better? And, and from there, we, um, we just kept going. What was something early on? that you wish you knew that now two years in you you're very aware of oh I wish someone had told me to really revel in all those small moments um I'm getting so much better at it now and I think I'm enjoying the process now more than ever before because you were just so dead set on victory you weren't thinking about the like enjoying things along the way yeah I think I I think I got not necessarily about victory so much, but I was so excited about eventually having these out in the world um, that I forgot to sometimes remember how hilarious it is to really build a product and innovate a product from scratch. It is truly one of the funniest things you'll ever do because you you learn something new every minute of every day and you learn different languages. Um, so I'm not an engineer. I, um, I'm a designer and a business person. Um, so learning how to solder on copper pads to a battery. Wait, I don't even know what you just said by the way. <laughs> um, so soldering is when you're uh, basically using another metal to combine two other metals. Um, I had to do that at 2 a.m. one morning when, when we really needed to do a test of a demo and it just wasn't working. And so, I, you know, you have to improvise. <laughs> Which is 100% what being an entrepreneur is. It's like, how good of an improviser are you? How much can you flow with it when everything is going wrong? Beyond the people, what's the most essential thing to your company's success? 
Honestly, it's being able to scale. Um, that's been a really interesting turning point for, I think, wearable technology in general. Um, we've seen so many fabulous, amazing, interesting prototypes, and now we want to be able to scale. And, and finally, a year and a half ago, I, um, I took on an investor, um, and they are also a strategic partner who manufacture for some really, really big names in apparel, uh, mostly in athleisure and intimates. And because of that, we now have this ability to scale. What do you think is the most important thing you've learned? I would honestly say the most important thing isn't necessarily about like driving forward all the time, um, but asking the right questions um, and constantly asking the right questions. So it's it's more like leading from reverse, seeing where the gaps are, making sure everyone knows how how each other is feeling about a particular situation or a particular project. Um, And then if you can ask the right questions, then you can solve the right issues. There are so many founders now who are targeting at least some of the same things. How do you block that out? And, And do you block it out? Because it's everywhere. And that feeling of, I'm competing with this woman or this man or whatever it is, once that gets inside of you, you're wasting time. Yeah, I totally agree. I almost, as much as I think competition can be really healthy and interesting, um, I tend to do the reverse. I always believe that you're going to go a lot further if you go together. um, And you'll probably go a lot faster if you go alone, but it's a far more enjoyable process if you're going with a group or a tribe. So you've kind of brought people who might be perceived as your competition, you've actually brought them in. In in what capacity does that work? So in in multiple capacities for me, I actually curate a space at CES, um, which has multiple different products in it that really celebrate women in technology um, and technologies for women. So that process in itself, which I've done for the last three years now, um, that allowed me to learn about all these interesting companies and technologies that were out there um, and showcase them in a really positive and optimistic way, um, but not necessarily always find them competitive. But us being able to celebrate each other, I think, is a really beautiful gift that I have. I'm very lucky that I can do that. You've been called one of the most powerful women in technology, but that wasn't your background. How do you, A, learn about it and B, become conversant in it so that the other people who are already in that field and have been there for years take you seriously? Yeah, I think there's there's two different angles, of course. Um, what my first recommendation was always go to bed with dead people, which is um, <laughs> books, obviously. <laughs> um, and I because I think truly there's so there's so much to learn that it's infinite. Is there a book that really spoke to you? Yeah, there were a few. I loved Flow. Um, it was a book, uh, not necessarily about the flow of the yoga practice, but actually just being in the flow and feeling about what's coming in the future. Um, I I really appreciated learning that there is a way to listen to what's going on without having to like force yourself into a space. Um, that was really important for me to be able to feel like what trends were coming and what areas I should focus on. Um, and then Beyond that, it's it's a truly a belief that nothing is actually too hard to learn, um, but that you just need some time. And if you dedicate that time to actually learning whatever it is, and whether it's you know looking up the latest IoT products or sensors or learning about batteries or whatever it is, you you can learn it. None of it's really rocket science. Uh, it's just a matter of the time it takes to get there. And becoming conversant, speaking the language. Yeah, for me that was just practice. Um, I was lucky enough when I first came to New York, I was offered an opportunity to do a design residency with Shapeways, a 3D printing company. 
So I was thrown in to this very forward-facing environment where everyone knew every little detail about 3D printing. And I knew a little bit, but not nearly enough. Um, but I just sat back and I listened. And I listened to everyone who nailed their presentation again and again and again. And we did that. I did that for two months straight. Um, and I listened to them. And by the end of it, I was able to talk about 3D printing really competently. Um, so for me, it's obviously surrounding yourself with really smart people and people who know how to talk about a product. It's reading um, and it's caring enough. So doing it with conviction. Um, when you are saying something, making sure that, yes, you are backed up with real facts, but that you're saying it and, and you really believe it. Worst advice you've received along the way? Oh, really good question. Um I think this is the best and the worst. Um, this was a, a piece of advice I heard at a conference and it said, if by the time you release the product, you're no longer embarrassed by it, you waited too long. And I think that is the best and worst because as an entrepreneur in the space, yes, I believe that we had to launch so we could learn and iterate. But at the same time, if you launch too early, it's so dangerous um, and people will destroy you. They'll be like, this, this product doesn't work. It does, it's not useful. I can't see the purpose. Um, so you do have – it's a very delicate balance. Um, and so although I do believe in that and I think you still have to push forward, you have to be make sure that you're executing at the right time. Such, I really love that one. No one has said that before, and it's great. The Naughty X Pants. Where can we find them? You can find them online um, on our website, which is wearablex.com. And it's naughty, not naughty, no. naughty, N-A-D-I. But if you want to get naughty in your naughty, <laughs> then that's fine. <laughs> well, there is a yogi in there with you, so. <laughs> Billy Whitehouse, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again to Billy and Amy for sharing their stories and insights. So what did you think of the new format? Should we do more episodes featuring multiple founders? Let me know by tweeting me at Rebecca Jarvis. And don't forget to send me your submissions for Entrepreneur of the Week at no Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a review. It really does help get the word out. Special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. Taylor Dunn, Michelle Bancardo, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Steve Jones, Annie Osakwe, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all-new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.